Really good. You're going to get me fired. <laughs> I meant the song. Boy, that was, that was, that was good. Uh, okay. I got to move on, get out of this. Isaiah 9, verse 6, for our scripture reading. I'll ask you to stand in our God's honor as I read aloud. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this prophecy that happened hundreds of years before the Incarnation, and the cross. Father, we come asking, Lord, you reveal your truth to us. Uh, Father, I feel your spirit. You've worked already, God. I just don't want to stop that. So I ask, oh God, Holy Spirit, that your anointing would continue in this place. And this building that's been set aside for you would be filled with you. We need you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I like toys. And, and I got to looking at the big toys that were over the years. And uh, Battleships, some of you guys remember that. Uh, recently in 2007, it was the iPod Touch and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you don't know what that is, I don't have time to tell you. I'm already behind the gun here. Uh, explain it. Uh, 1995, Beanie Baby Craze. 1980, there was a Rubik's Cube. 1965, there was the Easy Bake Oven. 1969, chemistry set was popular. Uh, my big thing was Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And then they came out with a new version of that, you know. It goes around, comes back, good stuff. And, and I read that this year, in 2016, it was Hatch Animals, which is kind of like a robotic Furby, if uh, you remember that. Uh, but there is a gift that was promised in the scriptures that we read about this morning as our text 700 years before the incarnation before he appeared and that's what christmas is about uh, on wednesday night we worked you know the kids had some memory verses and we worked on one in second corinthians nine fifteen. Let's say it a few times together here. Try to increase. I think it would be a good verse for the month for us to learn to heart. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Here's what it says. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Guys, say it with me. We'll say it three times together. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now, don't ever tell me you can't memorize Scripture. Because you just proved to me you can as I listen to you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And the address is 2 Corinthians 9.15. Maybe we'll do this uh, each week here, even on up to Christmas. And we want to look at that indescribable gift this morning. Um, let's just jump right in here. In our scripture here, he tells us first that unto us a child is born. 
He was fully human. He had flesh like we do. He knew completely what it's like to be human. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And this son is the son of God. It it is God in the flesh, the two together, the beauty of the incarnation. And look how he is described in our scripture. In some translations, um, as in this one, he says, wonderful counselor. But you can just as easily have a comma right there and say, wonderful and then counselor. As we say wonderful. It, is, it doesn't describe what he has done. And he has done many wonderful things. But it is a description of him. Guys he is wonderful. But I mean, we could turn it around and say. Full of wonder. As we look at him. All we can do is wonder. Because we can't describe him. He is the indescribable gift. We can't fully explain him. Because he is bigger and more than we can grasp in our minds. He is almighty God. This is a a noun. It's not an adjective. It is not a modifier. He, in all ways, in all cases, is wonderful. Now, you know, we've all had that where we fall in love. And you meet that person and you say, she is wonderful. Or, or ladies, girls. He is wonderful. But. It doesn't take long until something happens that's not wonderful. You know. But in the case of Jesus. He's wonderful. He is fully wonderful. All right, uh, let's move on here to the next one. He's counselor. He never gives wrong advice. You you don't ever have to look at Jesus and say, Boy, I wish I hadn't gotten that advice from Him. He is a trustworthy counselor. Always. Now, I I trust my mechanic. And when something goes wrong with my car, you don't want me messing with it with a bunch of tools. It definitely make things worse. But let's say I went to my mechanic. I said, you know, I have this problem with my car. And and what if he answered by saying, i got a problem with my car too. Will you come here and listen to how it sounds when it runs? Could could you tell me, Todd, what's that knock in the car? No no way, are you kidding me? I I would lose some great confidence in my mechanic. Or if I had a marriage counselor, I went to the marriage counselor. And, and, uh, you know, before my marriage counselor began to deal with the issue I came to get counsel on, said, boy, I've got a real problem in my marriage too, Todd, and... And could you tell me what to do? Man, you talk about losing faith in a counselor. That would do it. But that is not our God. Our God has good counsel. The right counsel. The right advice. We can come to Him for that counsel. He knows it all. And He knows us through and through. And loves us. Remember the woman at the well? She came out and she approached Jesus and she learned who he was. Man, he nailed it. He said, you've been married five times and you're living with a sixth guy that you're not married to. And I love her response. This is John four twenty nine. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And they came. <laughs> 
Because they saw the change in her heart. In John 7, the people said, No one ever spoke like this before. As they heard Jesus, they were in awe because they knew that He was more than just a mere man. In Romans eleven thirty four, we read this. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? No one. No one counsels the Lord. He is the one who counsels us. He is the counselor. He is, next, the mighty God. What a description of His identity. He is El, the mighty God. We think of His names. There is Elohim, the name of our wonderful God. Of It proclaims His deity of the triune God, Elohim. And we think of Emmanuel, God with us. Is the L's at the end, so we could say with us, God. He is our God who is with us. Think about it as He laid in that borrowed manger as a baby. He is El. He is mighty God as He is condemned in the halls of Pilate. Although He was innocent and with no crime and no sin, no guilt, He was mighty God. He was El. Or think of Him as He went to the cross to pay for our sin and He was mighty God. Totally undeserving of the price that He would pay for us. And then next here, notice the description. He is everlasting Father. Now, we don't think of Jesus as Father. We think of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is God the Son. But in this description of Him, He is called, identified as the everlasting Father. This term literally means... The one who rules for the ages. The one who directs the ages. When it speaks of Him as the everlasting Father, it means He is the one who is boss. He is the one who is in ultimate control. He is the one to which all will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. He is the ruler of all eternity. That is our Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. We have the heavenly Father. He's talking. (laughs) And here's what he says. He says, but about the Son, the Heavenly Father says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. He identifies Him, the Father identifies Him as God, the Son, as God, and that He is the ruler of a kingdom. Drop down to verse 10. He also says, the Father says of him, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. You created all. You sustain all. The Father says of Jesus that he is the one in charge of all, worthy of all. Then the Jewish leaders, why were they so afraid of him? Why did they hate him so? Well, in John eight fifty eight, he made this statement. He said, before Abraham was I am. He described himself as I am. The Holy One. As, as God. It's the same terminology that's used in John eight forty four to describe our arch enemy, the devil, when he is called the father of lies. In other words, he says that Satan, the devil, is the originator of, of all lies. He is the ruler of all lies. 
But Jesus is the ruler of everything. He is the ruler of all. And he is the one who's not only creator, but he is sustainer over all of creation and all of eternity and over me and over you. (laughs) The last name described here, he is described as the prince of peace. We think of Jesus as he came. Um, There is at this time, there's not peace. Matter of fact, as he spoke, he said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And he said, because of me, there will not be peace. You see, he's not talking about his first coming. He's talking about his second coming. Well, he will sit upon his throne where he will receive his rightful rule as the prince of peace. But for now, as he enters our hearts, there's peace. Listen to Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to Jesus and he provides you a new life and a new heart, we call that salvation. It's justified through that faith in Jesus Christ. He says that the gift that comes to us is that we have peace with God. We are no longer enemies with God. We are no longer at odds with God, but that through Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And then it talks later on in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. You know, it tells us, don't worry. Don't worry about anything, but in everything... By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what? The peace of God that transcends or passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So those of us who follow Him, who have been saved by Him and changed because of Him, we have peace with God and we can know the peace of God as we carry out this life until we're with Him in glory on the other side of death, the Prince of Peace. Now, that leaves us with one more important phrase I haven't covered in this verse. Look again at Isaiah 9, verse 6. And the government will be on his shoulders. What is he referring to here? Well, there's not a total consensus. But I believe that this is a reference to the ancient Jewish wedding ceremonies. The government will be on his shoulders. There were three stages of the Old Testament Jewish ceremony. The first stage was engagement. You know, that's where the guy goes out and he sells everything he has so that he can buy a diamond ring and give it to his... No, that's the American uh, engagement tradition. In the engagement tradition of the ancient Jew, the parents actually knew their child and another parent, another child. And the the parents would prearrange a future marriage of their kids. Parents played a key role in that. Then the second stage was called the betrothal or the kiddushin. In the Kiddushin, it was a very formal event. It was a binding event. And the bridegroom would pay a dowry to help the family of the bride to be able to pay for the wedding. 
And that was often paid in cattle or clothing or, or money if they, you know, happened to have cash. <laughs> um, the idea in the betrothal was that there was a year that was so binding um, that if the man should die before the actual ceremony, she would be considered a widow. So it was more than what we refer to as merely an engagement. And during that year, the job of the groom, the bridegroom, was to prepare a place for them to live. Often they would add on an addition to the house of the family. But he was preparing a a place that would be theirs. A home that would be recognized as belonging to them. As they would begin a new family. And it reminds us of our faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, remember in John 14, where Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, Hey guys, trust in God. Trust also in me. And remember he said, If I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back for you. So he said, What is he doing there? He is preparing a home for his bride. See the picture from the Jewish ceremony in the picture for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. He, he is gone and he is preparing a place for his bride whom he loves. That is you if you belong to Jesus. If you belong to God. And there's one final stage of the ceremony. It's called the hoopah. And the hoopah is the actual procession when it's time for the the wedding to occur but it, it starts out and the loved ones the family friends they all gather for a parade starts the home of the bride that she grew up in her family and they march to their new home and i mean it's a time of excitement as people march and they celebrate and they sing And they shout. And in the middle of that march back to their new home. The bride takes off her veil. And she places it on the shoulder of her husband. And the significance of that is to say. I'm placing my trust, my confidence in his provision. In his security. And his love for me. That the weight of his shoulders is big enough to love me. And and guys, that is the significance of Jesus. When we trust him and when we seek to follow him, we, we place the veil of our fears. We uncover our face so we see face to face our Savior, our sustainer who loves us. And we take those fears and we place that veil of all of that junk and we place it upon the wonderful, mighty shoulders Of our God. Of our wonderful one who is wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And we are able to place our confidence there in Him. To hold us. You see, we can't fully describe Him. But we can fully surrender to Him. We can fully place our fears upon Him. Who loves us unconditionally 
And as I come to the end of this, I, I guess uh, that's just a reminder, guys. We have an altar um, that's open to come to Him, this promised one, who loves you so much that He says, here's a place on my shoulder. Come to me. I will forgive you. I will love you. I will guide you. And, and guys, that's we meet together to pay that tribute to Him, the only one who deserves it. I don't know what it is that you need Him to be counselor for. We have an altar. Maybe you need to come and pray, lay your heart out to Him. Not to any of us, but to Him. Or to make a decision right where you are for His glory. Man, now's the time to do it. Maybe it's for that first time to receive a new start, a new heart from Jesus, the forgiveness He provides. It says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And what that means is, He changes and transforms us by the power of the cross. Like Judy so beautifully sang about. And uh, it's it's more than, than church. It's Christ. And, and what He does. And, and so part of this invitation is, what a great day to receive His gift. It is indescribable. But fortunately, it is not unavailable. It is there for us. Maybe um, it's another. Maybe it's to follow through in baptism, which is that perfect picture of Jesus saved me. Jesus spared me by His own sacrifice, going under the water, dying to sin, coming up new person. Um, maybe it's time to come and to be baptized in that act of obedience and and to follow Him. I don't know. You know how the Holy Spirit is working. And I just ask that He does. Let's pray. We'll stand. We'll sing. And come if He calls you. Lord, uh, thank You for a great day to be with You. For Your people. Father, how blessed to hear the children sing. Father, we as Your children, may we sing. Lord. Now to You. And may we obey Your call. Draw us, dear Father that we may see Jesus. Christ's name we pray. Amen.